the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's uh, actually it's the Tuesday that feels like Monday program. Hope you had a great Labor Day holiday. We got a little bit of rest. And um, for any of you who did tune in, I hope you were blessed by the rebroadcast show that we did. But today we are here and we are live, ready for your phone calls and questions, questions about the Bible and anything else that's on your heart and mind. Let me give you the phone numbers, 340-9585 for your live calls. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll free at 877 KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send them in. In addition to that, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app and you can just push the call now button and you'll be connected directly to uh, the studio for your question. Uh, because it's Tuesday, we don't have a lot going on, but I got a couple of things that I want to talk about. Ladies, first for you, uh, our ladies fall luncheon is this coming Saturday from 1030 till about 230, I think. Um, a, a great meal will be served. Uh, cost is only $20. Uh, but for me, the most important thing is Paula will be speaking, and she's going to be sharing her testimony. And this is something that's unusual. She's not done that here at our church. She's been asked to do it other places. Um, but some of the ladies were asking, and she prayed. The Lord put it on her heart to share her testimony. Um, I, I promise it'll be encouraging. I, I can also probably say that after she shares, no one will ever want to listen to me again. Uh, because uh, a lot of her testimony is about Ron the jerk and God's goodness through it all. But uh, we would love to have you come. So Saturday from 10.30 to to 2.30, um, uh, you'll have a great meal. Lots of desserts are made by the ladies. But we actually have two chefs in our church who are going to be doing the cooking. Uh, David uh, Jones is an elder in the church, and his wife, Kenyatta, is our kindergarten teacher. But they are chefs, and what a great, great job they do. A lot of the men in the church will be here serving. So uh, it's just a great time. Dress is any way you want to come. Some ladies will dress up. Others will dress down. Uh, most of the ladies will be dressed somewhere in between. So anything and everything that you have, you're more than welcome to come. Uh, but you're going to hear about the power of God. So that's this coming Saturday. The other thing I'm going to start reminding you um, pretty much on a on a every other day basis is for uh, an invitation for men. Uh, I want to invite men uh, who are in the radio listening audience uh, to come to our Calvary Chapel Men's Retreat uh, beginning on Thursday, September the 21st through the 23rd. We'll come home about noon on Saturday. That way nobody misses church. Uh, it's it's one of those events we've had people call in before and talk about some of the neat things that happen, but it's just one of those times, men, that you get away, you make the time, the sacrifice um, of the little bit of money. We don't charge very much. We, we, we make it as affordable as we possibly can, um, and, and God will meet you. 
It's your time with Jesus. Uh, it's the best thing you can do for your wives. It's the best thing you can do for your children. If you're a single man, it's the best thing you can do for a family in the future if you're going to have one. Uh, if you're a single man committed not to being married, that's okay. It'll make you a Jesus follower. It's just really going to be a neat, neat time. It always is. God always shows off for us. Uh, the Friday night afterglow that we do is always kind of the highlight. God has dealt with men's hearts. And when you see men repenting and confessing, um, when, when you see hearts that have truly been touched and changed by God, uh, it's an amazing thing. So that's this month, the 21st of September through the 23rd. Uh, it's um, near Marble Falls somewhere. I've, I've, I don't know the name of the place, but it's. Uh, I'll get some more information uh, by by Thursday program. Paula will be here so she can tell me uh, what I've forgotten. But uh, it's a great place. You'll, you'll love it. September the 21st through the 23rd. One other piece of business. This is the last Monday night. There's no studies still tonight. Um, next Monday night, September the 11th, all of our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies for high school age youth uh, begins again. And we're back in the flow of things. We're getting back on the change from summer to fall schedule. Uh, and, and it'll be a blessing. So thank you very, very much. Okay, three, four. I said, did I say Monday again? Okay, I said I said it was Monday. My producer said today is not Monday, but I did say at the beginning of the program that it's the Tuesday program that feels like Monday. I can't get it over. There's one thing I want to read really quickly uh, too. This is just uh, from a, a, a dear lady in our church. Who? Let me get this. Um, we've been feeling sorry for her for a long time. Uh, a wonderful young woman named Sarah who uh, has been pregnant. We've asked for prayer for Sarah. This was the most stubborn baby ever. <laughs> and the baby just wouldn't come. I mean, uh, yesterday in church, when I saw her here, I was astounded. And and I said, I said, Sarah, this is the first time I've ever prayed that somebody wouldn't be in church. And... Um, uh, not yesterday, but, but Sunday. I'm doing it again because it feels like Monday. Uh, and uh, on Labor Day, appropriately, um, she started texting Paula and told her that uh, her water broke and she was going into delivery. Let me read a very quick uh, short from Sarah that she emailed me. It said, Pastor Ron, we asked the Lord for quick and easy delivery. Boy, did he show off. Around 6 p.m., we ate a delicious meal Nancy made for us. About an hour later, I was laying in bed, having Jason and my doula massage my feet. I want a doula. Well, they, is that what they do? They massage feet? Paula, why didn't you tell me about this? I want a doula. Okay, back on the topic. Uh, and and massaged my feet and back, and I felt a pop. The next contraction, my water started leaking. From water break to delivery was 15 minutes. I'm going to say that again. From water break to delivery was 15 minutes. The midwife didn't get here in time, so Jason, that's the husband, got to catch her. I think he's still recovering from the shock, she writes in parentheses. We had two doulas here, and they did awesome. Annabelle, the baby's name, was delivered in the bathroom on the floor, covered in towels. It was the most perfect delivery. No IV, no continuous fetal monitoring, no cold hospital floors, no strangers. We just delivered her the way God designed around family and loved ones. I'm feeling good, still cramping and bleeding a bit, but glad to be home in my own bed. Uh, my mom is here till Thursday, and Jason's mom's here too, and that's for help. Then she says thanks for the continued prayer. So let me thank all of you uh, for... Uh, your prayers um, on Sarah's behalf. Uh, baby was over 10 pounds. Annabelle was over 10 pounds. Uh, it shouldn't surprise anybody. Our joke was that this baby's already a year old. Uh, that's how over. So uh, really, really uh, uh, a great thing. So uh, Sarah, I'm sure you're not listening today, but I'm sure word will get to you. Uh, congratulations. We are so blessed. Um, so God answered prayers in his time and reminded us that he's in control. You know, one of the things that uh, was a real uh, blessing, uh, Sarah and Jason really believed that this was what God was leading them to do. Now, this isn't something for everybody. Um, we're not recommending it. It's not the most spiritual way or even more spiritual way. But it's just what they believed God was, was leading them to do. Uh, this is uh, their third child, or fourth child, I think. 
third child, and uh, this is just what they wanted to do. So um, it, it's just really neat to see the Lord show off for them, and uh, we're grateful that that baby is finally here. Uh, if if uh, Annabelle took any longer, we were going to have to go right to DMV and get her a driver's license. So um, that's the case. Okay, questions, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Nacho from our email inbox. Uh, He says, could a point be made that the age of grace ends in Revelation 15.8, as if to say that God was not allowing anyone to go into the temple to try to persuade him to change his mind about the punishment of the last plagues he was about to bring on the earth? I say this since in the past he has shown us his unwillingness to judge quickly like he shows uh, Israel in Joel uh, chapter 2 verse 13 and in Second Peter chapter 3 9. Let me read the passage, uh, Nacho, for everybody and then I'll answer the question. Uh, the last verse in Revelation chapter 15 says, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the angel were completed. Um, uh, in answer to your question, Nacho, no, it's it's not uh, the end of the age of grace. Um, the age of grace ends uh, with the rapture of the church. Uh, according to Daniel, a covenant will be signed between the man that we call the Antichrist uh, and the um, uh, Jewish nation. The world leaders will acknowledge the, 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 this man as, as being the leader of the world. Uh, when that covenant is signed uh, between him and Israel, uh, that's the beginning uh, of, or the end, rather, of the, the age of grace. That's when the Great Tribulation begins. We will have been raptured. Now, uh, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us from the rapture of the church to the time of the signing of that covenant how long it will be. Uh, but we do know that from the signing of that covenant, there will be seven years, seven years left in human history. So the rapture of the church, God's done dealing with people in grace. He then turns his relationship with mankind to judgment. A Christ-rejecting world will be judged. Um, The rapture of the church and the signing of the covenant is what initiates that process. So I'm not sure that time could be soon. You know, Jesus could come at any moment. We need to be looking for him to come. we're studying uh, the book of Acts, the first chapters of the book of Acts on Friday nights, uh, and they were looking for the soon return of Jesus way back then. That was the source of so much of their power. So uh, I think our church uh, culture would have a whole bunch more power, uh, Nacho, if we would simply really and truly in our heart of hearts, I mean deeply in our hearts, expect that Jesus is going to return. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Howard. Howard says, How can I respond to someone who says they only believe in what they can see or in science and not in a God they cannot see? Um, Howard, that's the condition of the world. Uh, the, the only response to that is to tell them about Jesus. Challenge him to check it out. That's the whole world. We who are Christians are told we walk by faith and not by sight, but the rest of this world walks by sight and not by faith. And I'll tell you, it takes great faith, and I don't mean good faith, but I mean a lot of faith, misplaced faith, but a lot of it, to believe in science. Science is simply the observation. Science changes daily. God doesn't change. And since science and scientists couldn't observe the beginning God becomes then our expert. And so when somebody says, I can't believe in a God that I cannot see or I can't prove scientifically, then what we do is we understand that, according to David, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's a moronic response. It's actually the Hebrew word. It's the word that we get our English word moron from. It's a moronic response. We believe in a lot of things that we can't see. We believe in air. I can't see air. Sometimes I can see wind blowing and you can see things in the air, but you don't see air. We don't see atoms. We don't see molecules. We don't see um, the, the, the wonderful working of our human body. We, don't, we can't see that with our eyes, but we believe in it. We can't see gravity, but we believe in it. 
So the answer to the skeptic, Howard, is simply to say, uh, and this is how I would do it, and everybody's different, but I would simply say, well, it's only because you haven't checked out the facts. What facts, I'd say, about Jesus. Jesus was a real person. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus didn't stay dead, just like he predicted. And if those are the facts, historically undisputable, indisputable facts, then there must be something to this God, because that's who Jesus claimed to be. And so, Howard, that's the way we do it. And then we introduce them to the gospel. He came to die for the sins of the world. He died. And it means we won't be judged. We won't spend eternity separated from God. At least we don't have to. And all we have to do is believe. And then challenge them to be honest, to have some integrity in their examination of those facts. Because somebody who comes to you and said, I can't believe in a God I can't see, they haven't done any checking things out. They simply want to sin and they want to push God out of their life because it's inconvenient to have a God who tells you there are things that you can do and things that you cannot do. So Howard, don't let them put you on the defensive. That's what the gospel message is for. And then after they leave, if they've rejected, which is likely to happen, then you can continue to pray for them. The Holy Spirit's going to be chasing them. And I often find, Howard, that these conversations are appointments that God's designated for us. And you might be the one that first sort of turns on that switch just a little bit in somebody's heart, makes them start asking questions, or at least makes them think about, well, how much do I know about the claims of Jesus? Or how much do I know about this world? And how reliable really is science? So those things, you know, Christianity, belief in God, and, 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 and accepting scientific fact, those two things are not in opposition to one another. What is in opposition to our faith based on fact, based on evidence, not just stupid faith, what is in opposition is science fiction. And I've said it on this program many times, Howard, any time you begin, scientists, no matter how brilliant you might be, when you begin with the supposition that there is no God, you've ceased to be honest in your search of facts. So share the gospel with them, Howard. There's nothing more that you can do, and then pray. Here is a question from Daryl. I knew I was going to get this question soon. I didn't think I was going to get it quite this soon. Daryl says, Pastor Ron, I just got a link to a statement from Christians United from a gay acquaintance asking me what I thought about it. Uh, it doesn't sound Christian at all. Your thoughts, please, before I speak with him. You know, uh, last week, Daryl, I got a question about the Nashville statement. A, a group of Christians decided that they needed to get together uh, men who are self-proclaimed leaders. That's a problem. But they need, decided that there needed to be a statement, a comprehensive, a comprehensive statement about the position, uh, the church's position, on uh, uh, homosexuality, same-sex attraction, uh, transgender uh, issues, uh, and the church's response to it. And while um, all they did was was uh, repeat. Um, what everybody who believes in Jesus, who truly believes in Jesus, um, who understands that the Bible is God's word, um, they just repeated what we already know. There's no need for things like this. There's no need for further uh, polarization. You know, um, um, and that statement was um, was uh, just uh, um, at least it became the news just about a week and a half ago. Well, um, as I figured it would happen. Um, there was a uh, group called Christians United uh, who was uh, who issued their own statement affirming um, um, the LGBTQ agenda, affirming that God's love for all people uh, is is uh, already been demonstrated, uh, approving that He accepts and affirms um, homosexual relationships, gay marriage, um, and every other thing related to those issues. Uh, and it was signed by an alarming number of Christian, so-called 
leaders. Now, we'd call them leaders on the left, the liberal uh, branch of Christianity. Uh, liberal meaning they don't believe uh, in the inerrancy of the Word of God. They don't believe that, that your Bible truly is God's Word. Uh, they've thrown it out a long time ago. Uh, and there are others who uh, will say they believe that the Bible is God's word, but that we just simply don't understand it. When God says that homosexuality is a sin, he didn't really mean that. Uh, and, and so um, um, they united together. Now, the stunning thing to me, Daryl, is the, 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 the sheer number in this brand new statement, the sheer number of uh, so-called Christian leaders who have signed it. Now, I don't know those people, so I can't uh, question their salvation, but I can tell you this. They are not Christian in doctrine. Um, Christians are not united. Real Christians are not united in what they've affirmed. In fact, Christians are united. Real believers, born-again believers, have to be united uh, in what the Bible says. And... What we've got here is a stage set for um, what I've been warning about our pastors and uh, telling our church here uh, for a very, very long time. And, and it's coming more quickly and with greater force than I ever imagined it would. Uh, there's basically going to be a civil war inside the church. It won't be long, perhaps only days or weeks, before those who hold uh, to the, the infallibility, the inerrancy of the Bible... Uh, are going to be called bigots, uh, we're going to be called unloving, we're going to be judged as homophobic, um, um, we're, we're, we're going to be treated as though we don't have brains. And and it, pretty soon it's going to turn to what everybody knows. Uh, well, what everybody knows is what God's revealed in His Word. Now, all of that, Daryl, to say this, we who are truly united in the Word of God, we need to stand our ground. That doesn't mean we yell at people. It doesn't mean we protest. It doesn't mean we come out with more statements. It means that we declare that God's love, unequivocally, God's love is extended to the whole world. But we also have to declare to anyone who's living in a lifestyle that is going to condemn them to eternity in hell. Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is people who live like this, that's just one of the sins listed. People who live like this, this whole long list of sins, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Our responsibility, Daryl, is to tell people that the way you're living displeases God, but he has an answer. He loves you. He sent his son, Jesus. And rather than get into a debate about how long they've known they were gay or how long they felt like they were uh, trapped in the wrong body or why they should be deprived of loving somebody in a, in a sexual relationship, before getting into those arguments, just share the gospel. We don't have the power to change people's minds. What we do have is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God as declared by the people of God. And it's not going to be long before the people like your friend, your acquaintance, is going to say things like, well, other Christians agree with me, or other Christians think this is, is okay. And they're going to take that broad road that leads to destruction because it's so appealing so, Daryl, you hang in there. Tell your friend, your acquaintance, that you love him, that you want him in heaven. Tell him about the goodness of God. Don't try to change his life before God changes his heart. You just offer forgiveness from sin, salvation, for a condemned soul. Remember, we're all born condemned. We're all sinners. And then let God do the work. When and if that person says, yes, I want to go to heaven. I want to believe in Jesus. There's a whole bunch of people, this pastor included, who believed a lot of really, really horribly wrong things sincerely. And when Jesus stormed my heart 26 years ago, all of it changed in an instant and has continued to change ever since. Why? Because it is our responsibility as Christians to agree with Jesus. So the Christians United group are neither Christian nor united. Um, they've been swept up in the lie. 
You know, I never believed, and we're inside two minutes. We'd love your live calls for the second half of the program, 340-9585. Paul talks about falling away, a great apostasy. Jesus talks about believing the lie, definite article, the lie. Uh, I never thought that the lie was going to be uh, an issue on human sexuality that people might believe, but it's starting at least in the time and culture that we live in to look like that, to feel a lot like that. We've got Christians, the liberal groups, professing Christians, who are becoming very loud and very militant, and some even equating these LGBTQ rights with the tragedy that's occurred in our nation's history with the African-American population. They couldn't be more different. Jesus loves everybody. We need to communicate that to them. So, Daryl, pray for your acquaintance. We've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday program. I'll try to remember that for the next half hour. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel. Love to have your calls. We'll see you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the tuesday program 340-9585 for your live calls and questions Here's a semi-related anonymous question i debated about whether or not to do this but let me just get it out of the way uh, Pastor Ron went out in public, work, social events, etc. I can't bring myself to tell people I'm a Christian because they look at me like I am a bigot against gays. I know I need to share, but I am fearful. Anonymous, this is really important. This is really important. Are you more afraid, and I mean that in a sense, afraid, of what people can do to you, or what they can say about you, or about being disobedient to God. This is really important. You know, why do we care so much about what people think? Now, again, I'm not naive. We all want to be thought well of. We want to be included. We're, We're belongers. But Jesus is with you. Jesus said, if you disown me before men, I will disown you before my Father. Now, I don't say that to scare you into thinking that you're not saved because you're not sharing. But what he's saying is he wants to confess you before his Father. If you confess me before men, I will confess you. Think of that as an introduction. Father, let me introduce Anonymous. And he was afraid, but he shared the gospel with people that I died for. See, this is the world that we've fallen into. This is, I think, one of the side effects from social media, Facebook, and the, and the rest. It's just we, we don't want to be piled on. But sometimes there's honor in standing for something that's true. When you're with people, the people that Jesus died for, his heart is broken Isaiah 28 says judgment is a strange work for God. His heart is broken because they've rejected him and they're going to be judged. And you have the answers. And if somebody persecutes you because you share the gospel with them, Jesus said you're blessed or happy if you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Now he didn't say you'd feel happy or he didn't say you'd feel blessed. He said you would be blessed. You would be happy. Why? Because he'd be smiling at you, smiling with you. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey. 
And all we have to do, Anonymous, is do what he tells us to do. His power comes alongside of us. And when people start getting saved, when people start asking questions about this Jesus here declaring, I promise you, you won't care so much what people think. We've got to decide on whose side we stand. And what we've really got to understand is that it's our responsibility as Christians to be on Jesus' side. You can't be one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus. Jesus says, trust me. So think about those people spending forever in hell. Think about a God who loves them so much that he died for their sins. Think about his heart being broken. And then, and I say this as nicely as I can, I know the words sound harsh, but my heart is not. Get over yourself. Would you rather have Jesus smiling at you or people patting you on the back? This is the issue that is going to divide the church in these last days. Let's go to Phyllis calling on line one. Phyllis, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Well, hello, Pastor Ron. I pray you and Paula are doing well. We are. Thank you very much. I had a couple of questions, and um, I always appreciate your answers, and I'll, I'll take them when I, you know, when I get through with the questions off the air. But um, I was, of course, still in Exodus, and I'm trying so hard to really grip the Old Testament. Um, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, and he received the Ten Commandments. And I, I, I noticed a, a passage say that the, the Israelites, they pretty much, uh, they, they made like a golden calf or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it was a golden calf. Okay, mm-hmm. looks like Aaron was left behind as a leader, but it seems like he was uh, agreeing <laughs> with the Israelites, and he was asking them to bring all the gold and jewelry and all, the, all this, uh, I, I guess, things, things to make the uh, calf. And I guess my question on that, with him being a leader, wasn't he supposed to be, like, standing in Moses' shoes since he wasn't there and and maybe telling the people this is wrong? But Because I know mm-hmm. you say they got so used to worshiping um, gods when they were in Egypt, and I guess this was just another god they were creating to worship. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll clear it up. And one more yes. question. Um, on Sunday when you mentioned... Some suffering is uh, self-inflicted. Is this because of, of, of sin we commit, and some of them are uh, uh, come back to you know afflict us or whatever? I just want you to clear that up, and I and I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Phyllis. Very thoughtful questions. I'm going to answer your second question first, um, because it's so important that we understand we were. Uh, this past Sunday, uh, we're, we're in the Book of Romans, and this was a study um, beginning in, in um, uh, we're, we're in Romans chapter eight about suffering. You know, we have a tendency we 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 have these verses that we cling to, um, um, and we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose, and that's a great promise. But the context of that promise is suffering. And I wanted to communicate with the people that I love so dearly that suffering is a part of life. Just as we're co-heirs, um, uh, we're, we're, we're heirs of God, we're co-heirs with Christ. We're going to share in eternity. We all get everything that Jesus has. We also inherit suffering as a result of our adoption as sons and daughters. It's very important that we understand that suffering is normal in this world. We live in a fallen world, and there are bad, bad things that happen. And in talking about suffering, you have to talk about suffering um, that that uh, is no fault of our own. Um, but but a lot of our suffering is our fault. I call them self-inflicted wounds, and those kinds of of wounds, Phyllis, are are wounds um, caused by disobedience, um, by, by outright sin, the wounds that are, are caused by um, Christians who, who have a very 
casual or lukewarm relationship with the Lord. Um, we, 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 we want to go to heaven, but we want to live on earth the way we want to live. We want what we want instead of wanting what God wants. And whenever we try to approach God on that basis, we're going to suffer. Not because he's angry at us, but because he loves us and he wants to use suffering to make us more and more like Jesus. So those are the self-inflicted wounds that I was talking about. There are things that we can't do anything about. You know, uh, we lose somebody that we love. We get a terrible diagnosis from a doctor. Uh, We lose our job without warning because the economy's turned bad and and we get layoffs. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can't do anything about. God's grace will be with us in those times. But for the self-inflicted sufferings, Phyllis, those are the sufferings that we really and truly need to repent of so that we can once again be in God's grace. And I think a lot of that suffering is simply because we're not as committed to Jesus. The question that we just had on this program, um, um, I don't want to be considered a bigot by the people in this world, so I don't tell them I'm a Christian. Um, that's a that's a man or a woman, whoever it is, who's going to suffer. God's not going to let somebody who truly belongs to Him stay in that place. And so He's going to keep pushing. He's going to keep pushing. He's going to keep stretching us. And sometimes suffering is the answer for those things. The self-inflicted wounds; those are the ones that we can prevent simply by being with Jesus. Phyllis, with regard to uh, Aaron and the golden calf. You're absolutely right. Uh, Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days. They don't know how long he's going to be gone. And the people got restless. I mean, they'd just been delivered through the Red Sea. They'd seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And suddenly, here they are. And and um, Moses doesn't come down from the mountain. It uh, doesn't tell us how long. Was he there a day, a week, two weeks, three weeks? And all of a sudden, the people decided that they're going to make their own gods. Proves two things. Proves we have short memories. It also proves it instinctive where we all know we need God. So they made the own. Now, in Aaron's case, it was the lamest excuse in the history of the world. Moses comes down. God sends Moses down. Your people are not, not doing right, so go down. He goes down. He sees what they're doing. He breaks the Ten Commandments, so he's going to have to go back up and get new tablets. But... Um, he, he sees what's going on and he looks at his brother Aaron what are you doing and you remember what Aaron said look I just threw this gold and the fire and this calf came out when in fact the Hebrew word he fashioned a tool to make the golden calf he fashioned it was a slow thoughtful process it was his intent and he said the reason he did it was because the people didn't know if Moses was coming back and they were they were getting uh, on edge and they needed a God and, and I was afraid of them. But you see, it's that kind of pressure that we get from the mob mentality in the world. Remember, Egypt's always a type of the world. You can take the, the men out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the men. They always revert to what they want to do. And they were engaged in, in, in riotous revelry. Um... I think the language is very clear that there was a lot of immorality, sexual immorality going on. They were drinking. Um, it was just a, a a big party. That's what our flesh wants to do. And you can make a golden calf. That calf is never going to say you can't do that. You've got to stop having sex. You've got to stop drinking. We don't want to listen to a God who tells us what we can and cannot do. So we make our own calves. You know, the, the Christians United statement that I was asked about, I talked about in the first half of the program, they're just making another golden calf. And you're right, it was Aaron's responsibility. He failed miserably. That was a source of God's anger and Moses' anger. But remember, we serve a God that is slow to anger. A God who's patient, a God who's abounding in love. Hebrews tells us that God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. So all Moses had to do was see that Aaron was repentant, genuinely sorry. In spite of the terrible excuse, 
And he was the object, once again, of God's grace, even before they had an understanding of grace. So keep reading, Phyllis, the Old Testament. Keep digging in. The stories are absolutely marvelous. Thank you very, very much. Hope that answers your questions. Here's another anonymous question, personal one. Uh, My wife usually refuses any sexual advances I make. She says she doesn't like the way I smell and can't help herself. I don't want to go to someone else to get satisfaction, so what do I do? Now, Anonymous, listen to me very carefully. Take a shower. Stay clean. Brush your teeth. Wash your hair. Put on some aftershave or some powder. Do something and tell your wife you're sorry. The fact that somebody in your situation can say, I don't want to go to someone else to get satisfaction is disturbing to me. How could you do that to not just your wife? How could you do that to Jesus? You know, the the excuse we have needs isn't going to cut it with Jesus. You've got to decide, do you love Jesus too much to cheat on your wife? It's not okay to say, well, it's her fault because she's not uh, uh, giving me any satisfaction. Your responsibility here is to repent of even the thought that that's a possibility. And you need to ask your wife for forgiveness for not being clean. My goodness, she doesn't like the way you smell. Change that. That's something you can change. So ask her to forgive you and then make those changes and love your wife the way Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her and see what happens. You've got to decide once and for all that this isn't about you. You can change that. 340-9585. Before I go on, you know, we had a a guy call uh, um, a long time ago, and he talked about um, um, his wife not wanting to kiss him because he he smokes. Well, stop smoking. Your wife, you say, doesn't like your smell. Wash. My goodness. It's really not that difficult. Here's a question from Paul. He asks, how can I know if God has chosen me or not? Um, Paul, I can tell you how uh, you can know. You can know by responding right now to this wonderful news that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He's offering forgiveness. And all you have to do is say yes. I was teaching out of Romans uh, many years ago. Now we're in Romans again, but teaching out of Romans on this idea of predestination and election uh, from Romans chapter 9 uh, all the way through chapter 11. And um, um, I had a young man come to me and say, well, I, I don't know that I'm chosen, so I can't say yes to God. I said, well, if you say yes to God, you know you're chosen. He goes, well, h- how do I know I'm chosen? And I said, well, did you say yesterday?" said no. I said, do you intend to say yes today? And he said, no. I said, guess you're not chosen. At least not now, not today. But you can change that, Paul. Just like I told him he could change it by simply saying yes. And then you know you're chosen. See, here's the thing we have to understand. and This is why Calvinism and Reformed theology can be so damaging to somebody who really doesn't understand the Bible enough to understand the character and the nature of God. The call goes to everybody. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. It doesn't mean that he disqualifies the difference between those two groups. It's not like he calls many and says, yeah, but not you, not you, not you, not you. He calls everyone He chooses those who are going to say yes. And that's a decision that you have to make. God knows what decision you're going to make. 
But you have to make the decision. God won't force you to do anything. And it is a little dishonest, Paul, to use, well, I don't know if I'm chosen as an excuse to keep sinning. God's asking you even today, right now, to say yes to his offer of eternity. To say yes to his offer of having every sin forgiven. Think about that for a moment. Everything you've ever done, forgiven. He's offering you not only an improved life, but a new life, a new you completely. He's promised to come and live in you, in relationship. And he's promised to lead you and guide you every day of your life until that moment you're in heaven with him. And all you have to do is say yes, and then you're going to say, wow, I guess I was chosen. So, Paul, it's really an important decision. You can know by saying yes right now. If you want to do that, send me another email or give us a call, and we'll pray with you and pray for you. 340-9585 for the time that we've got left in this half of the program. Um, Here is a question, another anonymous one. Uh, What can I do to keep my children from falling into pornography and sexual sin like all of their friends seem to be doing? Anonymous. Um, Obviously, children as they grow are going to make their own decisions. But here's what you can do as a parent. You can love Jesus with all of your heart. You can walk with Jesus every day. You can keep your eyes and your heart and your mind pure. You can bathe in the Word of God, and then, because you're in relationship with Jesus, you can show your children what a man or a woman who really loves Jesus is all about. They'll know that your Jesus is real. They know that you love Him. And they'll follow after you. Now, I can tell you a couple of things that you can't do. You can't just watch any kind of trash that comes on TV because you're an adult and they're not. You can't find a secret time or secret place and start looking at filth on a computer screen or on your telephone. You have to walk with integrity. You have to be the man or the woman that your children need you to be and hope that you are. Because if you don't do that, it doesn't matter that you take them to church every week. It doesn't matter that you pray for them. When push comes to shove, your Jesus is going to be worth choosing. Because they're going to see the duplicity in your life. They're going to see the pain. They're going to see Jesus sort of pulling on you. They'll see the damage in your marriage relationship. So you walk with Jesus. You be filled with joy. You let them know that Jesus is responsible for every good thing you have, including them. On a practical level, it's not that what I just said isn't practical, but just sort of nuts and bolts level. Don't give them access to social media. Don't give them access to the internet. My youth pastor says he tells the parents of the kids in our church that any of the parents who let their children go into their bedrooms alone with a cell phone is like sending them in with a sexual bomb we don't have to cave in anonymous we don't have to cave into this world we really don't what we can do is very simply stand with Jesus and for Jesus your children will appreciate it you know we've got kids that have gone through school here and they managed to graduate and do wonderfully without cell phones Amazing, isn't it? 
I have one more question that came in from our mobile app. This is a female, Ronnie. Uh, good afternoon, Pastor Ron. When an adult child tells me, and then in parentheses she writes, asks me with a question mark, that I'm closed-minded because I will not agree with or consider the opinions about other teachings or beliefs. How do I answer them firmly but with love that I do not need anything but the Bible for truth? You know, when, when and, and these are, I think, important questions. Now, you said this is an adult child. Uh, but when an adult child tells you that, uh, ask them, where do you find truth? Truth, by definition, is mutually exclusive. There can only be one. Two conflicting things cannot both be true. And if they're really wanting to follow Jesus, I mean, if they really want to know what the truth is, then you can engage them in conversation. But here's what you tell them. You say, look, if what a Muslim believes or what a Buddhist believes or uh, what a Mormon believes is true, then I'm going to hell forever. Because what they believe can't be true if what I believe is true, if what I believe is true renders what they believe to be true mute. So you just make them think logically. And here's what we know about our Bible. It's a story about Jesus, who is a real person. And our evidence is overwhelming. No other world religion has a leader that came, lived, said he was going to die, but wasn't going to stay dead and rose again. That's how we know that what we believe is true. And then you live your life with such joy that truth screams at them. Ronnie, thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Hope to see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.